Thank you for joining us. I'm Michael Anderson, and this is The Big Idea. Today, we have a special guest. I'm pleased to have Ryan Bamier on the program. She's been in the Peace Corps for over a year now. She just returned, brought back because of the coronavirus, and she was in Comoros. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm so pleased to speak with you. I'm I'm a little disappointed that all of this happened with coronavirus. I know you were planning to be in Comoros for longer um, mm-hmm. in terms of your Peace Corps service, and they brought you back because of this. But first, I want to go into the Peace Corps. We'll start there and have an extended story. Tell me about joining the Peace Corps. What what, what how did you come to that decision? Let's start there. Yeah, so I was in my junior year of college and trying to start thinking about what I wanted to do after graduation. And at that point, I was already pretty sure that I wanted to go to law school at some point. Um, But a lot of my mentors and friends who were older than me had told me that they recommended taking a couple years off before law school. So I was trying to think of a job that I could do that I would like, and especially one that would let me travel. Because I figured once I went to an American law school, I'd probably be pretty much stuck in America. Um, and so looking into jobs like that, the Peace Corps was like an obvious one that came up. And I also had a professor at that time who I really loved, John Evans, and he had been in the Peace Corps and met his wife in the Peace Corps and spoke really highly of the experience. Um, so I talked to him a bit about it. He was like, I think it'd be perfect for you. Um, kind of looked into it a little bit. And then there was a recruiting session at school and I went to it and I remember the recruiter said, oh, you should look up right now. If you're a junior, look online. They're just opening up the spots that are open for the summer of 2018, which is the year I was graduating. So I went home. Mm -hmm. Normally when you sign up for Peace Corps, how long is that duration of time that you're signing up for? It's uh, so there's two different programs. Peace Corps, the one that most people do is for 27 months. So it's three months or so of training and then two years from when you swear in. Um, but there's also a thing called Peace Corps Response, but that's for people who are usually more uh, senior in their careers. And so they do shorter term, usually about a year and nine month assignments. So but the doing, one I did was 20, supposed to be 27 months. So 20, it was supposed to be 27 months and you mm-hmm. got, you were, how far into it was it? I was just about to finish. So I left in early June of 2018 and then we ended up coming home in March of 2020. So I had almost finished two years. Okay. And so you were in now, now jumping back now. Mm-hmm. So you were in your yeah. junior year in college. Yes. And you at this time were considering Peace Corps. Yes. T- talk us through what that what so what that was like and how that time frame goes from when you mm-hmm. kind of are interested to signing up to now yeah. going and coming back. Totally. So I started really seriously considering it. And I remember, so I was saying I was at a recruiting session that night. I went home um, and I looked online and there was a single opening that was uh, available for after when I was scheduled to graduate. It was literally like leaving two days after I was supposed to graduate. And that was for Comoros. So I'd never heard of the country of Comoros before, but I started looking into it because it was the only one I was eligible to apply for at that point. Um, and what I what was researching, it sounded really awesome. It was a small island. And in considering joining the Peace Corps, the thing I was most nervous about was being really isolated. Um, because typically you're stationed in a village or a community and you're the only American there. Um, and so that can be really scary when you think about going to a really big country, like for example, Ethiopia, you can be 12 hours by bus to the closest volunteer, so to the closest American. But Comoros, the islands are really small. And so when they were, people who did on the program were talking about it, they said, you're going to be pretty close to other Americans just because there's multiple Americans on one island and the island's so small, you're going to have to just, you have to be pretty close. 
So that appealed to me. Um, it had some Arabic influences in my family's Arabic, so I thought that would be cool. And then I also had studied religious history in college and was really interested in religion. And it's a Muslim society and one of the only Peace Corps posts that's a Muslim society. And so that really, or completely a Muslim society. So that really appealed to me as well. So because of that, I was like, this is perfect. And it's really serendipitous that this is the only one that's available and I can apply for. So I applied for it that, like that week, um, which was at the end of my junior year of college. I did the interview that summer. So the summer after my junior year. And then I got accepted in July or something. And then there's a clearance process for legal clearance and health clearance. So you have to get fingerprinted and all that, make sure you have no record. And then also do a bunch of doctor's appointments, um, which ended up taking a really long time because even things like the year before I had sprained my knee and I had to go get a note for that, proving that I could walk and things. Because once you're out there, like Comoros in particular really has a very terrible medical system. So they really can't do much. So they want to make sure you're really good to go before you leave. Um, so I was getting all excited to go. It was my senior year. I was about to finish college. And then I got an email and they were moving the start date two weeks early. Um, and if you remember, it was supposed to be like two days after I graduated. So I remember I was crying and I called my mom and I was like, what do I do? And I emailed them and I was like, is there any way I can leave later? Cause I'm graduating college. And they were like, no, you can apply to a different program and go to a different country, but you can't, you have to leave that day. Cause we're going to start training over there. Um, so I thought about it for a little bit, but at that point I was really set on going. So I actually ended up leaving college two weeks early and got my diploma like mailed to my home address and didn't go to graduation. So I sympathize a little bit with the seniors who are missing their graduation this year because it's definitely hard. Um, but really glad I did it. And I think I was meant to be in Comoros, so it worked out. Wow. I, I didn't know that detail. And yeah. I've been following <laughs> you along your journey about once a month or so, you would send an mm -hmm. email out and... I know your family, and uh, and so I would I would receive that email, and I've enjoyed following you along your journey, and I want to get into some of those specifics, but really? I didn't know that detail, and that that's yeah. <laughs> um, that's quite a yeah, that's quite a I guess a give up, you know, to 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 go to this and uh, and put that way. That's that's wow, that's big, that's very big. So tell yeah. me, t tell our listeners about Comoros in particular. Uh -huh. So you arrived. I'm sure you did a bunch of research about. Comoros and 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 you had mentioned before finding it here you never really heard of it mm -hmm. I never really heard of it until reading some yeah. of your newsletters about it but for our listeners where is Comoros what is totally. it like there <laughs> give us give us um, some perspective yeah so I tried to do research before going but it's actually really hard to find English uh, information about Comoros because it's such a small country and so remote there's very little scholarship or news about it anywhere in especially in the english-speaking world there's a little bit more french because it was formerly a french colony so comoros is a small island country off the east coast of africa um so it's right by madagascar and pretty close to tanzania as well um it's composed of four islands which is a bit of a touchy subject because one of the islands mayotte is still under french control um, and that's because back in the 70s, they had a referendum to vote for independence. And so three of the islands, the majority voted to be independent, and one island, the majority on that island, voted to remain with the French. Um, so Comorians consider Mayotte still a part of Comoros, but I guess legally it's not a part, and the Comorian government doesn't control it. Um, and so of those three islands, the biggest one is Ingazija. That's where the capital is, and that's where I did my training. Um, the next biggest island is in Zwani. That's where I lived for the majority of my two years. That's where I was stationed. And the smallest island is Mwali, um, which I went to go visit once, only for a couple days. But it's super beautiful. As I said before, Muslim country, um, like 99.9% .9 practically completely Muslim. 
Um, each island has its own dialect, but the language family is called Shikamori. And it's pretty similar to Swahili with some Arabic influences. And because it was formerly a French colony in schools there, they learn and speak in French. And then they also learn Arabic because they are such a Muslim society and that's really important to them. So they do that both in school and at Quranic school. And then they just recently started teaching English. So that's what I was doing. I was teaching English in my community's local middle school and elementary school. Now talk to us about the climate there. You had made a number <laughs> of remarks about the climate. Yeah. Now wait, now you're from Ventura, California. I so am. Southern California. And we have a, a very moderate temperature here. Um, and, and so you're in Comoros. Talk to us yeah. about that, that climate. So we're definitely super spoiled here. Um, so I think it makes it hard to go anywhere else. But I think that everyone who went to Comoros had a really hard time with it. Um, so like I said, it's really small islands. And my island in particular was really mountainous. So up on the mountains, one of my friends lived there. It was really nice, pretty mild. But down by the water, it was so hot. Um, so it's a tropical climate because it's a tropical island country. And I lived right on the water. Like my backyard was the Indian Ocean, which was beautiful, but it was really brutal, especially because during hot season, there's also, it's hot slash wet season. So there's lots of rainstorms. And a lot of times the rainstorms would knock out our electricity for weeks. And so when you didn't have that fan to put on at night, it got so hot. Um, and the way that they build there is they just use concrete. So you're room is kind of like an oven where at night the heat leaches out from the walls and it just is brutal um and it would be funny because i felt really hot and at first i was wondering you know maybe this is just me because i'm not used to it i'm used to a ventura i've never been somewhere this hot but you know the day after a really hot night the next day in the village like the whole topic of conversation would be how no one got any sleep because it was too hot and you try to sleep outside but then you're trying to jerry rig your bug neck because there's so many mosquitoes um, how, how hot is it when we talk about the heat? That's a great question because before I went, I looked on the weather app and it would always say, you know, 88 with super humidity, but I think they're all wrong. Like, I don't <laughs> think you know how hot it is till you go. The sun there is just different than any other sun I've experienced. And then it's also just so humid. Um, slash, I also think it's really different when it's the type of heat that you don't have air conditioning to go to. Um, a lot of times you don't have electricity, you don't have cold water. Sometimes you don't even have water. So it just makes it a really different experience when the heat is that all-encompassing rather than you go outside of your car and it's really hot, but then you're inside a grocery store that's air conditioning, then you're inside your home that's air conditioned. Um, so never really got used to the heat for sure. Um, and that was definitely one of the hardest parts of being there for me. Now let's talk a little bit about, you know, just, I guess, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I know, so in, in Ventura County, the household average income, let's just say it's around $80,000 a year. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of uh, the average home, we'll mm -hmm. say. Now, over there, what, what would you say or what, what can you tell us about just, I guess, how much as far as income they live off of and then what yeah. living situation is like there? Totally. Um, so it's a hard question because Comoros is both one of the most poor countries in the world and also one of the most unequal. Another thing that's pretty unique about it is there's a huge diaspora, especially in France. Um, there's some cities, I think there's more Comorians outside of Comoros than inside it. And particularly Marseille has a ton of Comorians and a huge Comorian population. Um, that said, part of the Peace Corps and one of the reasons I chose it as the organization I wanted to join is a huge part of it is living like your community lives and living in the most rural and most undeveloped areas of that particular country. Um, so even though the capital of Comoros isn't that developed, that's definitely where a lot of the wealth is and a lot of the connections to France. 
Meanwhile, I was out in a village in one of the uh, least developed regions of the least developed island, one of the least developed, I would say the least developed island um, in Comoros. And so in my village, there were very few connections to France and very few people were able to leave Comoros. Um, lifestyle wise, most people were either fishers or farmers. So for example, my host family, the family that I was living with, uh, my host mom in the morning, she would go and farm. So she went and she would pick or plant cassava or peanuts were really big. Um, they do a lot of picking green bananas and then they fry them. Um, and then she would come back to the house and she also made sambusas, which were, I guess, samosas, uh, like the Indian, uh, fried, little dough pieces with fish inside. So she would make those and then sell them in the afternoons and then make dinner, which we bought from the fishermen who would come in in the afternoon. And that was another big thing every day uh, to see if the fishermen caught anything. Cause some days they wouldn't be able to catch anything. And then everyone would be so upset cause you had to eat the canned sardines and no one liked those. Um, <laughs> so it was really, I guess, slow pace of life. Um, there's not a lot going on. We had a couple people in my village who would commute into the capital, which was about an hour bus ride every day. And so I knew one of my neighbors worked at the airport, which is one of the best jobs in the country. Um, and I had a friend who worked in commerce. Um, but even that, like my best friend there, her name was Lulu. She worked in commerce and she worked for over a year. And I think she maybe got paid the equivalent of 20 US dollars over that entire time, just because they kept saying that she was going to get paid. But the government there um, is not the best functioning and is pretty corrupt. And has a huge bias towards the main island. And I, went, like I said before, I was on the second island that's kind of rivaling the big island a lot. Um, so just in terms of government resources and handouts, we got a lot less. And so that was also a huge source of frustration. Um, so a lot of problems in terms of uh, people having enough money. But one of the great things about Comoros and why I loved it so much is there's a huge community sense there. Um, and like I traveled to Madagascar and Ethiopia while I was there. And if you arriving in the capital of Madagascar, it's really overwhelming because so many people are asking you for money. You feel really unsafe. Um, a lot of times in Madagascar, like everyone was constantly telling you, you know, don't take your phone outside. It could get stolen, et cetera, et cetera. In Comoros, I never once felt unsafe. It's super communal just because it's such a small island. Um, and there's basically no beggars because if someone in the community doesn't have something, someone else is going to take them in. And like, even in my host family, uh, there was a man in our village who wasn't mentally sound and in Comoros they don't really have institutions for those people. They just roam around and sometimes he would show up at your house and then you make him a plate and he eats with your family that night. And that was just kind of the vibe of anyone. If you showed up at the door, they would help you out. Um, which is really great. And I think a really admirable aspect of their society. That's fascinating. There's so many things that I feel like I want to ask you specifically <laughs> about that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I don't know how deep we'll be able to go on that, but I, but I do want to maybe just ask you one question or two mm -hmm. questions about that. What, what do you think, you know, just in that communal aspect, what do you think is, is different about here in life in Southern mm -hmm. California? And is it possible that we could be more communal or is it uh, reasonable that we're less communal? Yeah. So uh, I think one thing that is a huge difference and will always be different between Comoros and here is the size and also the diversity. Um, so coming from Ventura, Ventura is a pretty diverse place. There's a lot of different ethnic groups, a lot of people immigrate here, um, different religions. And that's something that while I was in Comoros, I really came to value about America. And I don't think I appreciated um, before I went just because Comoros is a super homogenous society. People really don't leave the village very frequently. Um, everyone has the same language. When I was there, I like stuck out so much because I was the only white girl in the entire region or only white person in the entire region. 
Um, I was like the only non-Muslim in the entire region. It was super, at first it was really alienating just because I was so different from everyone else. Um, and while I love diversity and I definitely don't think it's something we can sacrifice, I do think that in many ways it's easier to have a built-in community when everyone's the same in that way. Um, slash when you're growing up around people that you've known your whole life just because people don't have the resources to move. So they're going to be living there the whole life. You're going to know everyone. Um, but I do think that the sense of community is something we can really develop here. I remember uh, my host sister, she was telling me, Ryan, I once heard this rumor that in America, some people don't know their neighbors and that some people don't know the names of their neighbors. And I remember telling him, yeah, it's true. You know, sometimes people even live in the same building, like in an apartment building, they won't know their neighbors. And they like, it killed. The entire room was like, what? I can't believe it. Like, Ryan, don't go back. That sounds terrible. They thought it was really, it sounded like a dystopia, you know? Because in Comrose, you can ask your neighbor for anything. My host sister, while I was there, had twins. And all the time, we would just drop one of the twins at someone else's house to babysit because she wanted a break. And it was just like, you know, the idea of paying for babysitting was unheard of just because if someone needs help, they help you out. And that's really beautiful. It also, I think, a lot of times led to people taking advantage of other people, especially women. Um, because a lot of times they're the one doing kind of that labor that doesn't get paid for and doesn't get compensated at all, which really hinders them from getting jobs that could get compensated and kind of being more independent. On the other hand, there are definitely upsides like we were talking about before in terms of I never, while I said before, I was really worried about feeling isolated in the Peace Corps, I ended up in a region all by myself and I never felt isolated because if I ever wanted to talk to anyone, I literally just left my door and tons of people invited me over. I always had, you know, things to do, hang out with people. So that was really lovely and something that especially coming back to a social isolating <laughs> community amidst coronavirus is really hard. So Ryan, you're, you're in Comoros, you're in the mm -hmm. Peace Corps, you're, you're there, there's a new language component, mm -hmm. and you're, you're there teaching English. Talk to us about education and, and the impact that I guess it has on these students that you're teaching. What education level were they at and yeah. what, what level do you think they'll get to in their aspirations? Mm -hmm. Um. So definitely teaching English in Comoros was by far the hardest job I've ever done and hopefully the hardest job I'll ever have to do, but not sure about that yet. Um, so like I said, I taught at the local middle school. That was my, where I got most of my hours. Um, it was in the village over from where I lived. And so it started at 7.30 in the morning. So the first thing that was very different from America is I had to leave my house at 6 a.m. and walk with all the kids from my village two and a half miles to get to Bumbao. And like I said before, during hot season, it's so hot. So you arrive at school, everyone's already so sweaty. And sometimes during Ramadan, you can't even drink water. Um, so as you can imagine, the kids are not always in the most uh, ready to learn mood. Um, also education there is, especially in my region, was very poor. So um, I had students who were in sixth grade and were not literate, um, had a really hard time reading and replicating what I wrote on the board. Of course, that wasn't all of my students, but it makes it really hard to teach a student what is now their fourth language, or yeah, I guess fourth language, um, since they already knew Shinswani, they had gotten French from elementary school, and then they were learning Arabic since they were little. So English is their fourth language, and it's really hard for a lot of them to see how that's applicable to their daily lives, because they don't really see a way to get out of Comoros, and very few people in Comoros speak English. Um, so it was very hard to motivate my students. Uh, coupled with the fact, you know, during training, they give you all these ideas of group activities you can do and resources and worksheets. And then you arrive and you realize you're living somewhere 
without steady internet access or electricity and you just have a really janky blackboard and you know some seats and you're trying to wrangle the kids into learning English. Um, so that was definitely a huge adjustment and I think it took a lot of me uh, scaling back what I envisioned teaching there to be and then to what it actually was and realizing that you really have to meet your students where they're at um, and it's not always going to be you know the picture-perfect dream of you inspiring all these students to love English and speak it forever. Um, I will say that I do think my students improved a lot, especially in spoken English. Um, and I had a really, really dedicated group that actually started an association while I was there. And so they, they were English Club Ongoni, so they were from my, uh, the village where I lived. And every single Tuesday and Thursday night, they were coming to study, even now that I'm back in America. Um, whenever any of them has credit on their phone, they send me a message and ask me to send them lessons so they can continue studying English. Um, so kids like that definitely make it super worth it and are really, it's amazing to see for me because um, some of them have already graduated college. They don't really know what their future is going to be like. And it's really hard to say English is going to be a practical thing for them to learn because jobs, there are just so hard to come by. And yet they're still really, you know, doing their best to improve themselves and learn a language. So that was really cool to see and really exciting to work with them. Now, I know when you were there, you started a club, and mm -hmm. I want to I share some details on that club yeah. <laughs> because that was a bit of a challenge to start a club while you were there. There were mm -hmm. very little funds. Talk yeah. to us about the club you started and how you mm -hmm. got it going and uh, what that was like. Totally. So one of the things that was really important to me in starting a club is that it would be accessible to both female and male students. Um, so one of the really hard things to adjust to is that Comoros is a very sexist society. Um, women are not granted the same opportunities as men, and particularly women are really expected to be home during the entire day, cooking, cleaning, watching the other kids. Um, and so I quickly realized that I wouldn't be able to do a club like most clubs in America would happen at 4 p.m. in the afternoon after school's over because none of the females' parents would allow them to come. Um, so talking with my host family and some of my friends in the village, I decided to start a club at night, which also has a lot of issues because like I said before, Comoros doesn't have steady electricity. So a lot of times my mom sent me these solar lamps. And so we studied using these solar lamps. And then if kids had flashlights, they would bring them or I would use my phone flashlight. And we were in a tiny classroom. And like I said, it's really hot, but these kids always showed up. Um, and they were so excited about it. And so towards the end of my time there, I, along with another volunteer, my good friend Miriam, got a grant from Peace Corps. So Peace Corps has different grant programs you can apply for. Um, and ours was to take our kids on field trips around the island. So we went to a village nearby that had some historical mosques. Um, we went to the museum in the capital. We took them to the university and they got to see an English class at the university and talk to the professor there. Um, and then we took them to this library that a different community had started. And so a lot of those kids had never visited those other villages because even though Comoros is so small, it's just not really a thing for people to be tourists there. Um, cause that's really a leisure activity that's super foreign to their lifestyle. Um, so it was so exciting to see these kids travel around the island and get so excited seeing these new villages they'd never been to and getting excited by history, which is something that I really love. Um, or a lot of the kids after going to university were so determined to then get themselves to university and wanted to study there too. Um, so that was a really cool program to see and something I'm really glad we wrapped it up right before we got evacuated. And um, me and Miriam both were so sad when we were leaving, but we both were, looked at each other and we were like, we're so glad we finished it right before. Because um, that really, those memories I think were some of my most special of my time there. Now, Ryan, you have a younger brother, two younger brothers, mm -hmm. Sam I and do. Henry. 
Uh-huh. And what what do you say to them if they were to ask the question, Ryan, should I go on the Peace Corps? What what do you, what is your response to them? I'm already trying to get them to join the Peace Corps, but they both tell me, no, I'm going to the major league straight after school. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, maybe that'll change. Um, I would definitely recommend it. When I'm talking about the Peace Corps to my friends, I think I always say there's two types of people. There's the type of person who says, oh my gosh, I would never do that. And then the type of person who, when you describe it, is like, oh my gosh, that sounds incredible, an experience I totally want to do. And I think if you're the latter type of person, you should definitely go for it. Um, I think there's a lot that's wrong with the Peace Corps and the way it's run. I don't think it's a perfect organization by any means. Um, But I think it's one of the few ways to really introduce people to a totally new way of life. You learn a new language, you learn new skills, and you meet people that you never would have met. And I mean, I consider my community in Comrose like my family in America. I am like love them. Um, I think of them all the time. I still talk to them when I'm able, and I really, really am looking forward to going back and seeing them again. Um, and I think that it's really rare to get an experience where you're so immersed in another culture's lifestyle in the way that you are in the Peace Corps. And while it's very hard, I would say it's 100% worth it. I like hearing that. I think I think that's you know for for people listening that are considering it is is there a cost that they have to have um, up front to be able to apply and to go? No. So that's what's awesome about the Peace Corps, as opposed to a lot of other organizations. The Peace Corps is completely free for volunteers. So you do have to do medical clearance, like I talked about before, and most of that you can get reimbursed. But sometimes it's a little bit tricky. So it's like a couple. You know, sometimes you don't get exact reimbursement for your vaccine, depending on your medical provider and all that. But once you're there, Peace Corps covers your health care, your housing. They fly you out. They fly you back. Um, any flights you have while you're there is covered by Peace Corps. So it's really an all-encompassing program. And then at the end, you get a stipend. Um, that's called your readjustment allowance. That's for every month you're there. I think they just upped it so you get $250 or $275 or something like that. Um, yeah, so they try to make it really accessible and they really want a diverse swath of Americans to apply and to go because part of the goals of the program is that that culture will kind of get a taste of what America's like um, and learn a little bit more about America. And so if we're only sending, you know, rich people from America who can afford it, obviously uh, Comoros wouldn't be getting an accurate picture of what America's really like. So what what changes um, can you share that are mm-hmm. that you experienced? So you're back now. You were there for two years. Um, mm-hmm. What what would you say changed about you? What can you share about that? Um, I like to think that I am a more generous person. I at least definitely strive to be a lot more generous, just because um, it was hard in Comrose dealing with the fact that people would ask you for money or ask you for presents a lot. But as the time went on, I realized just the culture there is so expected. If you have something and someone else needs it, you're supposed to give it to them. Like there's really not a sense of personal ownership. And that's something that I definitely still am struggling with. It's very not American, I think. Um, but it's something that I'm trying to embrace more and more and get better at. Um, I would also say an understanding just of how different our upbringings are and how different our worldviews are. And just to always kind of remember that um, like someone else's opinion that you think is really stupid might just because of the way that they're brought up. Um, and I think that's something that hopefully people realize as they're exposed to more and more diverse people as they grow up. Um, but it's something that I definitely am holding with me now, especially returning to American political discourse where everyone has their own sides and it can be really hard sometimes to see across the aisle. Um, I also think that I've brought with me a lot more optimism, um, in terms of in Comoros, you know, the littlest thing would get you excited because you get so used to your day-to-day routine. Um, for example, every night in Comrose, uh, 
pretty much every single night the lights would turn off at least by 6 p.m. And they'd be off for kind of the peak hours. And then occasionally at around 9 p.m. they would turn back on. And those nights were the best. Like you'd hear kids in the neighborhood screaming, wang game, wang game, which means, you know, lights. Um, and you'd be so excited because you could turn on your fan and you'd get a good night of sleep. And just like the little things like that, like when I'm home and I'm turning on or off my light here, I try to keep that in mind. Um, so I think little things like that, uh, reminding yourself that even little things can cheer you up and also that you can make any day fun. Like even with really few resources, I managed to have a lot of fun in Comrose. And that's something I'm trying to keep in mind now. While I'm locked up in my house. Um, like, but I do have so many resources at my disposal here and you can still make the best of a bad situation. Our guest today is Ryan Bamier. She just returned from the Peace Corps, serving two years, just shy of what was intended to be served there because of the coronavirus. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.